0: I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast episode. This is your host, Brian Krebs, and today I have Eric Bethune on. And from what I can tell, Eric has... Man, you've done a ton of different adventures already and you're not even you don't even look like an old guy. You look pretty young. So I'm sure there's a lot of adventures yet coming down the pipe. But how are you doing today, Eric?
1: Man, I'm doing well, man. How about you guys?
0: I'm doing really good. Uh life is good. Uh the weather's finally good, but but yeah, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit of uh I guess I don't know if it's adventure western hunting, but you've got some pretty cool experiences that I've seen um and so I was going to just get you on and like, have you kind of share some of your favorites, but like how you got into like that next level, right? Like you're not doing like the yearly antelope hunt, like you're doing a bunch of a right, bunch of right. things that a lot of people would maybe consider are once in a lifetime.
1: Oh, they were all once in a lifetime for me, for sure. Like all these hunts that I went on, that was, that's my opportunity because, you know, I'm not one of these guys that throws a lot of cash and stuff. So when I, you know, when I have the opportunity, it's the only opportunity. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I kind of like that. It's, you know, it just makes it more, I guess, special so to speak, you know, because I, this is the opportunity and you know, I got to make it happen. Um, so just, you know, I got started back in archery in 2017. Um, you know, growing up around hunting was always something I was, you know, exposed to as far as, you know, my dad, and you know, just being from a very rural part of North Carolina. Um, so it was always kind of, you know, with me and, um, early 2000s, I kind of got a bow and, you know, with the idea of getting into it. But, you know, back then I was young and I was getting, you know, getting kind of into bodybuilding and stuff. And to me, you know, getting the muscles and the girls was more important than the the bows and the animals, you know? So, you know, once I kind of got that squared away and, you know, you know, I had that under my belt for a number of years and finally put it down about 10 years ago, my son was born, you know, because, you know, spending time with him was more important than, you know, going to the gym. But that's kind of when I got back into archery. But this time I got, you know, really got back into it. Like last time, you know, I got a bow. I tied on a D loop. I actually, I think I put on knot points and, you know, I was just drawing off the string with an old Cobra release, you know, I had no idea what I was doing, no paper tune and nothing. But, you know, I got back into it this time. I really got back into it. And, um, you know, I just started off in a little urban deer management program here in Fairfax. And, uh, you know, that kind of opened it up as far as just chasing whitetails and having a place to go. Um, but then my buddy, Sean, you know, invited me in on bear hunt and that kind of just lit a fuse. And it was like, bear super cool like antelope would be even better or you know maybe you know an elk con or something you know so it just kind of it got to the point where just one was not enough and i just knew it was tip of the iceberg type thing and uh and that really just kind of kicked everything off oh yeah a and bear hunting canada ontario canada did it all
0: ontario canada so you're not from ontario yep. though right where is
1: no so right now i'm living in notesville virginia i'm originally okay. from north carolina okay and yeah. um here for work and you know it's uh it's not where i'd live if i had a choice but um you know it's where the job is so you know how that goes
0: yeah i was gonna say that does not sound like a canadian accent that i've ever heard from ontario no no yeah so started with a bear hunt that's pretty interesting because i don't think many people start with a bear hunt you know going out west anyway it was
1: it was Right. It, well, to me, it was like a very affordable hunt. It was something they'd done, you know, they had a good relationship with the guy they were going with. So, you know, to me, it was kind of just, you know, going to hang out with some buddies. I was, you know, I used to hang out with the military okay. and, you know, so it had the, you know, the kind of camaraderie side, you know, it's just a, like a boy's trip type thing. Uh, but then, you know, we wound up going back, you know, the next trip I took was uh, back to antelope and a place we used to hunt in early 2000s in Colorado. So, you know, that really bear and antelope are, you know, the first two that got me going.
0: Yeah. And are they still like, is there still a little bit of nostalgia around bear and antelope or is there a new favorite species? Cause I see you, I mean, it doesn't look like you've, you know, pick and choose. I mean, it look kind of looks like you'll take any adventure.
1: Uh, pretty much. So I got the you know mountain goats, my favorite. So I got, I got that out of the way. Everything else after that is just kind of a bonus. Um, I mean, I still book bear every year. I mean, uh, I don't think I'll miss a bear trip you know, or one or the other. I mean, I just like hunting bears. I go to a good camp up in Manitoba. Um, It's a fun camp, uh, good bears. And it's just, hunting bears is just fun. You know, I I wouldn't call it my favorite, but it's just, I like that flavor. Um, It's just, I think everyone has its nuance and it's, you know, it's kind of texture to it, which makes it individual. So it's kind of hard to say this one. I will say the Arctic, it just has its own, its own feel it's just it, you just feel like you're in a place that you don't belong and it's very apparent and being in there and and just you know seeing the animals that live there the arctic's definitely my favorite place to hunt for sure and muskox of all the animals i've hunted muskox is the one that i want to go back for
0: just because wow. i
1: felt like that hunt was so quick and i'm just thinking there's so much more to it that i missed out on
0: yeah i wanted to ask you about the arctic because i think i think as far as i know you're probably one of the only maybe the only person that's hunted the Arctic and you so polar bear and muskox. Um, and so I wanted to ask you about that. So was that just, uh, an opportunity that came your way? Like you knew this person and you got to in with a, like a good rate or was that like more of a dream right. long-term goal that you were working towards?
1: It was one of those things where I, you know, you know, I'm sitting around work going on hunts and I look at the price tag on this thing and it's like immediately I'm all polar bear. hunting, Right. Yeah. And um, because those things get really, really pricey, you know, with flights and just trophy fees and just the tag itself. Um, So everything was really expensive, but um, a buddy actually tagged me in a post um, that I think Daryl Hosker shared it on the wild sheep foundation page about a last minute cancellation for polar bear. Um, I I tried to get on as quick as I could, but it was just, you know, things move so fast, those kind of cancellations. If you're not right there, ready to jump, you know, drop of a hat you're gonna miss out on it right and unfortunately man like you know i have to ask a couple questions before i spend that kind of money you know and it just didn't work out then so i I missed out on it it was a great price go on the muskox hunt come back and a week later i get a phone call from the same guy different hunt better price easier location and i didn't really ask a lot of questions this time because i got them out of the way the first time and i booked it um and it was one of those kind of things that's you know i never planned on doing it it just kind of fell in my lap and I was, you know, I was able to kind of dig into the savings account a little bit and make it happen because otherwise, you know, this set of, you know, set of situations or the circumstances wouldn't come together like this again. Uh, you know, cause everybody's coming out of COVID with some cancellations, but you know, now their hunts are coming up their, you know, their stuff that they had going on over the last two years is picked up. So you, you know, it was a Hungarian guy that couldn't make it out. Hmm. And uh, you know, compared to what some guys are going on that hunt for, I got it for an absolute song. And uh, that one, was one for the books. That is just, if I knew the situation I was getting myself into going in, I would have never taken a recurve. You took a recurve? It was just too much. Yeah, I shot him with a recurve. The a a
0: biggest bear in the world, and you shot a recurve of a stick and a and string.
1: He looked, he looked every bit of it. It was like <laughs> shooting an arrow at a Civic. This thing was enormous. <laughs> I mean, That's you hilarious. Kind of, you can kind of see this guy. He's over my shoulder right here. I got a little yeah. replica back there. I saw him so, back yeah. there. Yeah, man. But that hunt was just, there's no shortage of bears in Canada. That's for sure. And anybody that tells you so has never been where I've been because we were out of the tent the first day we were out. The weather was no good, but the guy knew I was itching. So, you know, he, he read me out of, rode me out of camp for like 20 minutes and we got up on a hill. We were there maybe 20 minutes and, you know, and they're yellow. They're yellow. They're not, they're not white. So they stick out, you know, fairly easily. Yeah, And you just see a mom and two cubs just trucking along. It's like, dude, there's some polar bears right there. He's like, yeah, yeah, they're not, you know, they're not where we're shooting, but it's like they're, they're right here. And, uh, you know, once we actually did get out of the tent, we saw, I, we assume it was the same mom and cub tracks. We saw, I think, two sets of eight-foot tracks, you know, bears that were just, you know, not in the size they're looking for. And then once we come across the track of the bear that I took, it was like, and it looked like a broom, it looked like he was taking steps and pulling a broom behind him because you know this fur is so long,
0: wow. and uh, you
1: know once we found his tracks, once we found the tracks, they started dogging it on the four wheelers or oh, the uh, the snow machines, pretty good. And then we spot him, you know, a few hundred yards away, and it was a polar bear. And <laughs> he's three hundred yards away, and he's just kind of, you know, he's got this you know that swagger they've got to him, and the hunt was on. We we got on the uh, we got on the Kamatuck and took the dogs and that wow. was that 20 minutes 20 30 minutes later it was a wrap but we well, were at the tent totally for maybe maybe three and a half hours
0: well first of all i can't believe you tented it was it actually a tent or was it like the lot the
1: no it was like a legit tent so we get so i landed in hall beach uh Nunavut, okay. which is uh it's it's along the same line of uh of latitude or longitude as a uh, latitude as uh as my as my muscot time. so it's not the greece ford Area where a lot of guys go. It was actually a lot further south, um, which saved a ton of money on airline tickets. To be honest, because once you start bouncing around those little Canadian North puddle jumpers, it gets pricey. You know, it's schedule slip, the weather's bad. It's just mm. it's a mess when you get around those things. Okay, but uh, you know, so I was fortunate enough to be lower because all my flights went off without a hitch. I went door to door in seven days, no problems. Uh, which for a polar bear hunt is that in itself is pretty extraordinary. It took you seven but, uh, so days to get from your home to your camp. Total door to door oh like seven days leave the house polar bear right yeah it was as by the the book as it could have been which is you know for those little those little flights up to canada that's pretty extraordinary
0: yeah no kidding but uh,
1: so we land in hall beach uh, overnight there in a hotel the next morning i meet my guide um they do some grocery shopping i get my tag at the local you know wildlife office and we take off and um we rode in this little camatuck thing it's basically a 15 foot long sled with all our gear in it you know it's getting pulled by a snow machine and that thing will beat you to death it was it was awful there and there's really no way around it like you know this thing's this thing's 15 feet long so you know if you go over a hill that's you know six inches high by the time the front actually falls down it's you know three feet in the air so every two seconds you're and it's it'll beat you to death anyway we finally get there after about 11 hours of just getting thrown around like a rag doll and you know it's Twelve thirty at night, and the sun's just kind of barely dipping down, you know, because it doesn't really get dark at that time of year. It just kind of dips down and hovers and comes back up. Um, and then we we camped in the tent for two and a half days, and they were they were calling it whiteout conditions. To me, it just looked cloudy. I mean, you know, when you're riding looking for tracks, you don't need to see for, but you know, I don't guide the guide, so I just sat there until they said let's go. And but yeah, by the time we actually got out of the tent, we were only we were only on the ice for three and a half hours, and it was deed was done. Was this which is pretty remarkable
0: was this like summer or winter i'm getting kind of confused because obviously like it's so it's it's spring it was a spring so it's it's uh, so it's may
1: may 8th okay may i think i took them on may 8th of last year
0: because it still looked cold like there's snow everywhere you're wearing puffy like your puffy kelvin
1: stuff yeah right and it was um that was kind of a weird one to prep for as far as the temperatures goes because you know you need something that's going to be waterproof and warm so i just kind of just like you down set with the, with the, with the, honestly, the rain gear set over it. And that really, it took care of everything I needed. It was kind of hard getting, my feet always have problems. That's the only area I could really get cold. So I ran baffin boots. And the baffin boots are these, you know, they're big moon boots. And they're just, I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the super down in the, uh, and the Yukon set over it. So it kind of had this, you know, Elvis look to my pants. But the setup worked really well. And it was only, you know, negative. I uh, know, it didn't get negative. It was maybe, I think I got down maybe 10 degrees at night. Yeah. Twenty four during the day. So not terrible. Not to, definitely not negative nice. forty pug lug tug, tug, tug muskox hunt.
0: Not as bad as it could have been. Okay. So that's no, the camping. Definitely
1: not. Definitely not. But so you're yep. in the tundra and it was legit. They had like a full, they had a full on, you know, three man tent was, you know, I mean, it was just super heavy duty, slept on caribou hides, you know, they ran a generator so we had power at night. We were they were pulling char out of the ocean for dinner. It was just Wow. It was a good tent to be in. Yeah, it was not. A, it was not a bad setup to consider that you're, you know, basically sleeping on the ocean, eleven hours from what is already nowhere. You know, what I mean, even right. Hall Beach is the middle of nowhere. Once you get out of there, you're in the middle of really nowhere. Right. And um, it's just it's just such a different place, man. I mean, just being in the Arctic and you just you just feel like you don't belong. I just mean, there's really no other way to, to put it. And it just to be that close to it is it's uh, it's fun.
0: Well, yeah. So Mike, now I'm curious you you book a you book a polar bear hunt an, an archery polar bear hunt nonetheless and then you bring a stick bow you know a recurve and then you're like yep. oh yeah i'm going to have to get within yep. recurve distance which all, like bow distance it's like sure big game animal a lot of people probably confident 40 50 60 yards some people more but with a stick bow it's like considerably less and there's nothing to hide behind out there or you know, it's not like you can hide behind no. trees. So how do you go about stocking the world's biggest land predator with a stick bow in the Arctic?
1: So, so these guys, by the Inuit tradition, you have to hunt with the dogs. So you know, you basically once once we spot them, they stop the camera and we get all the stop the snow machines and you know they basically unboot this little little sled they're riding around and we hit the dogs to it. Uh, they had an eight team dog or eight a team of eight dogs. Uh, only two of them really paid attention to the bear, which was completely opposite of every video and all the research and all the questions I've asked. Because they will tell you before you go up, there's like, don't pet the dogs. Like these aren't like American dogs. They're not, these are like basically tools. You know what I mean? Like they're not friendly. They don't, you know, don't pet these dogs. And, you know, to me, that's what I want to hear. I don't want, you know, Fluffy chasing the polar bear. I want, you know, a mean dog. But anyway, only two of them paid attention to him. So they cut the two dogs loose. They kind of bait them up. And then once we got a little closer, they let the other six go. They just hit the road. They didn't pay attention to anything. Um, and really the bear didn't pay attention to the dogs until the dogs were maybe 30 yards away. And once he did kind of notice them, he really didn't freak out. He just kind of seemed confused and, He was walking between basically the pack ice and some mountains. And it was, you know, between there was a really flat area. We wanted to keep him out of the pack ice because we couldn't get in there. Um, But once he noticed the dogs, he knows the same situation. He doesn't want to be in the, you know, the flat ground either. He wants to be kind of toward the pack ice because there's more cover. So he starts walking over there, of course. Um, So he gets there and he kind of drops down. They, They do this thing where they lay down when they get in like a defensive posture. It's really strange, but they lay down flat. So, you know, from seeing all the videos, I was like, okay, well, this is the spot I need to be in. Like, I need to, I need to go ahead and get in position now. And uh, because these other two dogs are really all I'm going to have to work with. The other, the other dogs are not going to do what I expected them to do and just be nipping at him from every angle and completely have his attention. Um, basically, he just had two dogs behind him. And I, pro- I approached from the opposite side. Um, we got 30 yards out before he saw us. And when he took his attention off the dogs to look back at us, I guess he heard snow crunching or us talking or whatever. He bolted at us directly. Like there was absolutely no hesitation at all. Like once he had a target and he knew, like, we were something that he could take, he was coming straight at us. As soon as I saw that, I kind of peeled off around the guide because I expected to hear gunshots at that point. You know, because he was right here. He was probably thirty-five yards, forty yards when he came at us. At, you know, forty at the most. Um, but you know, by the time I get kind of half around him, I feel him grab my collar and kind of pull me back around. He's like, "You're good. You're good." And I guess what happened when he took off in the dogs. It kind of triggered a chase response in them. right? You know, they see something running, they chase it, and you know, them chasing the bear kind of put him back on the defensive. So he went back to where he was. Um, so you know, he kind of he kind of jerked me back around. and I went and grabbed my recurve off the ground, and I, you know, <laughs> it still had the arrow kind of close to it. You know, I got chunked that as soon as he, as soon as he starts coming, the bow goes at the bear and I hit the road. But um, you know, so I go and pick my rig back up and I run up to what I think is a considerable, you know, close enough range. And I range him at 25 yards and I pull back and I let a shot go. And, you know, when I see a fly, of the air, my heart kind of drops, you know, that split second when you, you know, right when you let that arrow go, you can see the cast of the air, you know, if it's good or bad or questionable and it had that kind of questionable feel to it, but it went low and forward. And um, I thought it hit his leg. It did hit his leg. I mean, when you, when you, actually got up to the, to Canada a couple of weeks ago to look at the height and it actually hit his leg and it went into his body from his leg, but it, it happened to get, I guess the top of his heart, you know, and his lungs, because he, when he took off, he took off like, you know, it was no big deal. And uh, he went 40 yards and stopped. kind of went this sn- like turn around like he was sniffing himself and he just rolled over on his, on his back. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And he was stone dead. Wow. 1500 pound animal. And it was just, I was right, you know, cause he starts taking off into the pack ice and there's no way we can get him out of there. I know I've hit him. So he's, you know, he's a tag bear at that point. And um, he, he kind of ran around a little, you know, one of those little folds of ice and I was going to just start dropping, you know, 40 yard, 50 bombs on him as he's running away just to try to get another one in him because I thought the hit was bad. Mm. But before I could even angle on him, he was already dead. It was just literally eight to 10 seconds flat. And he was completely dead. It was the damnedest thing we've ever seen. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, and I know but like... that charge, man, it's, it'll put a fear in you like nothing else. And I, I've, well, you know, it's not like, it's, it's not like being scared of, you know, like losing your job or, you know, something bad happening, you know, it's, it, it's an animal trying to kill you, man. Like he, he doesn't care at all. Like he doesn't play by any rules and there's no, you know, there's no buffer there. So it's just that, ugh, I will not yeah. do it again. And well, and, and would, like no.
0: most no. 1500 pounds is, is incredible. Like most people, most people think their elk is like 800, 900 pounds and that's not really most elk. I mean, if you're shooting big old mature bulls before the rut, right. maybe you're getting a couple eight, nine hundred pounders. If you're shooting Roosevelt's, maybe. But I think a lot of the sure. five by fives that, you know, the average guy shoots are probably more like five, six hundred pounds. Sort of fifteen hundred
1: pound animal. That's they say yeah, they said thirteen to fifteen. And they don't they don't weigh them. Well, yeah, times. how are you gonna it just weigh it? Make sense. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, 30, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. Just like, that's like but, um, a moose. When this thing is stretched out, it, yeah, I, it's, I, there's, I'm looking at it's the picture. Of it it's right just hard. Now. Even, yeah, even the pictures and the videos really it doesn't do it any justice. Unless you're looking at this thing and just the sheer size of it. I mean, he literally has a paw the size of my chest. That's and he's got his claws are not are not very. They're not black bears and they're not brown bears. They're very cat like. You know they're very they're very short and they're very hooked because they got to grab those seals, you know the I guess the uh, the, a brown bear a brown bear claw wouldn't work, you know they just have to be very almost like cleatish they're very just hooked yeah like a um, fishing hook yeah they're very sharp and uh, just very short and stubby and and you know they're not those long right you know steak knives you see on a brown bear at all yeah so I'm looking at this picture right now.
0: And you're not a small dude. I mean, for the listeners out there, you're not a small guy. No, there's no way about it. Like you are not gonna get to hide behind a sap. On wing.
1: that polar bear hunt.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was.
1: I think I was doing about 6'1", ish in that pick. Yeah. Seventy five. Yeah. So you're area. a so, big
0: dude. And, and I got this one picture. He's laying he on his just... back, and and I'm the pictures by his feet, and so you're way over on the other end holding his paw up. So, there is no angles. Right. Like, there's no fish trickery here where you're holding the paw close to the no. camera. You're like 12 no. feet away. So, you're basically the same distance as his paw. And it's literally going from armpit to
1: armpit. For sure. It's one swipe, man, and it's a wrap. Like, it is not. He's going to take your head. Like, you know, he'd have taken two swipes, one for me, one for the guide, and that would have been a wrap. It would have just been done.
0: Because I heard the, a the story. amount of power he had. Even if he. Yeah. I heard a story on another podcast. Bones where a guy was watching a, a grizzly or a, a brown bear, because it was in Canada, a brown bear, chase a moose, and it swatted the moose's back and paralyzed it. And that was a moose, like a full-grown cow right. moose.
1: Like, what is it? It's going to hit you, and your head's going to fall off. You're just going to, yeah, you're, you're done. He's just going <laughs> to, like, paper mache. It would, there'd be no, I mean, I, even picking his head up for that one picture where it's kind of, you know, he's yeah. on his back, and I pick his head up. You can't even, get, like, it looks you like you can't even down. get your arms like,
0: around Like, your fingers can't touch. It's ridiculous. It's crazy how big his head
1: looks in that picture. It really is.
0: It
1: really is. And my brown bear, he was – I just got the brown bear officially scored. He came in at 24 and 13 16ths, and the polar bear was 25 and two 16ths. So pretty comparable skulls, but completely different animals, man. I mean, one was just – I mean, prospectively, the brown bear had the bigger head relative to his body size. But, uh, but seeing, you know, seeing the differences in the skulls is super crazy. I mean, the polar bear has a nose like a softball towards the brown bear's nose is much smaller.
0: That is crazy. I mean, oh. did I'm just still stuck on the fact that you brought a stick bow up there. Like, when you are when, when you got off the plane and you brought that out, was your guide like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> we're going polar bear hunting. Yeah, you got a he stick
1: didn't. bow? Yeah, it was the first, I was the first guy to take one up there. They were used to gun guys and some, you know, a couple of compound guys. But um, out of the first, I think he's got, I want to say he's got 130 some polar bear tags on the field. And I was the first recurve guy to get one done. But they, until I showed them pictures and like, you know, and like made a few shots for them, I don't, I don't think they were sold on it. You know, I just, they, I don't know. I just didn't think that they, uh, they'd seen one in action before and just you know weren't really confident with it. But, it's like you know I've taken a couple big animals and they all, you know, they all worked out. So, wow! You uh, know, I made them believers after that after the one shot. But it was, uh, it was definitely a wild hunt for sure. The entire thing, start to finish, was uh, was just different.
0: How heavy is your recurve?
1: Forty eight pounds. That's it. That's it? Forty
0: eight. Shooting seems- a five hundred
1: sixty grain arrow.
0: That see like I was expecting you to say something like yeah it's like a hundred and ten pound draw, no, and that's no. how I get the velocity to shoot these huge animals yep. with
1: a big heavy arrow. That's wild. No, it's five sixty even even out of my compound I shoot a four hundred twenty grain arrow, so I'm not I'm not big on the you know you're not doing the, the huge... whole heavy arrow system. I just no I don't I have no idea what my FOC is. I just know all my arrows shoot through paper super clean. Yeah, you know. I get good groups and everything's consistent. And to me, if that's the most important thing, shooting things consistently and accurately, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, don't, I really don't get caught up in the numbers too much. As long as my arrows are shooting straight and I'm getting, you know, that good cast out of the bow with the, you know, with the recurve and everything's coming off nice and clean with the compound. I'm, I'm happy, but, uh, but yeah, I keep, I keep all my setups pretty simple. Um, you know, I don't add inserts to my arrows. I shoot a uh, black Eagle vintage, cut the 30 inches out of, uh, out of a tall towns bow. Um, I shoot a 200 grain, uh, S200 iron wheel with a bleeder blade. Uh, and those are absolutely phenomenal heads. Um, uh, I mean, just a really simple setup. I shoot a glove, I don't shoot tab. Um, nothing really fancy, man.
0: And you're just getting it done. I mean, clearly the, the pictures are in the, yeah are the proof. Yeah. That's crazy. I just
1: think it's, uh, I think the research on these hunts is what, you know, is really important because there's a ton of information out there you know, you really got to be selective as far as who you're booking these hunts through. And, um, you know, I can't really say enough good things about bow site. bow site. is is ground zero for, you know, anything and everything bow hunting related. And if I've got a question, that's the first place I'm heading. Uh, because the knowledge there, the base there, the guys there, it's just, it can't be beaten. So, you know, if you're getting information from those guys, it's literally boots on the ground frontline guys who, you know, been seen done and, you know, getting that kind of information to me when I'm putting cash on something, if if you know I can't get everything lined up as far as you know the right people doing the right things and get the right outcome, then I really don't even consider going with them. But um, right. So that's really I think that's really got a lot to do with success. The success, success part of it is just you know doing research, asking questions, finding good outfitters, and uh. But it's just I guess getting into the adventure stuff, and unless you go on a couple hunts, you know, getting all the kinks worked out is is really the big deal. Those first, this first couple, it's like my anxiety level is through the roof because it's just there's so much involved. I got so much, you know, overtime work to be able to even book the hunt in the first place, and, you know, the gear list is a mile long. I'm worried about weather, and, you know, I've got, to, you know, do, do I have all my releases packed? Is there going to be a string fail? You know, you got a million things running through your head, so until you kind of get that dust knocked off, you know, asking questions and, you know, getting a lot of good communication from an outfitter is super important, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and finding good outfitters is – is is easy to do on both sides. You can find good ones and you can find the bad ones.
0: Right. Yeah, that is that is important, especially when you're doing something like what you're doing. And I guess I'm still boggled. Like, to go to the Arctic, a completely new environment, which, like, obviously neither, like, you've never been there before. Well, you did the muskox hunt, but, like, it's still new. Like, you, you were right. there for a week. It's not like you know this place. And then to go and do an animal. No. Yeah, the
1: polar bear hunt we were out for one day, too.
0: To get to be successful, though, like, that's that's impressive. Like, that really speaks to the prep work, like, the prep work you did to picking the right outfitter and the prep work the outfitters obviously do. But, like, that's a hunt where you could easily go a bunch of times before you're successful at all.
1: They, well, Joe has a, I mean, his success rate is 100%. So they have bears. Well, with the and rifle. He runs a 10-day hunt. So if you're, sure, okay, that's fair. That's what that's I'm saying. Agreed. Like to, to so get is, in on them with a bow. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: yeah. right. That's a pretty, that's a yeah. pretty wicked and thing.
1: I, enough, I did take the compound. I had it with me in camp, just in case. Uh, you know, it was in my mind. It was uh, a yeah, yeah, just in case because again, it does have a pretty big dollar sign on it. If I, you know, if I got into a situation where I couldn't shoot an arrow with the with the compound or the recurve. I would 100% have gone back to camp and gotten and gotten the compound out because I couldn't I couldn't not go home with a bear, you know, if if I had the opportunity. Right. But it just happened to work out the very first day we went out, so that didn't have to, you know, that was not a question that had to be asked or answered to. Right. Well, that's good. So but, what got you into the what the
0: recurve archery? What cuz that's not common, especially like on you did I see here you got a, a you've done a, a grizzly or brown bear hunt with the recurve too. Like those are that's pretty pretty intense. There's gotta be like a point in your history. Yeah, that was like a
1: super intense hunt.
0: The stick bow just got you. Like it just hooked you and, and sunk you hook line well, and sinker.
1: It was bear camp again, man. So this was a different camp. This was stick flingers and I think it was uh this was I guess my first my first hunt with let's say, you know, a professional outfitter. Um, so the first bear hunt I went on was basically just a retired guy in Ontario that just, you know, had a couple places he was throwing popcorn out in, you know, it was not a very, uh, sophisticated operation. Yeah. So to speak, not knocking the guy at all. It's just great camp. Just, you know, he was just not as, as up to snuff as some of the other guys. Okay. First real bear camp. Um, so I get up there and I meet a guy named Mike Arnett. I'm shooting a, I think I took a halon with me. I shoot my compound. But everybody that was at that camp was really, a, really tr- into the traditional stuff. And okay. uh, I can remember Mike broke out a self-bow. And this self-bow, it looks like you broke a branch off the tree in the backyard and, you know, threw a string on it and, you know, just started shooting arrows out of it. Like really? it's some savagery. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, it's some straight, just, you know, primitive stuff. And uh, and he was shooting this thing. I was like, wow, this is nuts. Like, this guy's going to shoot a bear with like that. I was like, this is cool. Like this is taking something that's already – difficult and it's just adding another step to it so he uh he got me kind of into it i did have a recurve at the time and i took it with me camp but my my confidence level was nowhere near where it needed to be but after seeing mike and talking to mike a little bit and shooting around camp it kind of got me into it my next time i went on was a cougar hunt i did take it with me and um so i do i do enjoy the con the traditional stuff a lot more than the compound stuff because to me it's just a more I guess intimate experience, like you've got to, you know, everything, the distances are a lot closer. So you've got to be right there in tight. Um, But I'm just, I'm not confident enough with it to, you know, I, you know, I don't think I could go on elk hunt with it. You know, something where a rangy shot is going to be, you know, I need something where the animals are going to be close and confined and where I'm confident. Right. Yeah. So I'm just not there in my, in my quest to be, you know, a good, a good recurve guy. Um, But, you know, I'm trying them out on the, on the, on the whitetails this year. And that's the, I'm super excited about deer season and that's something that the recurves give you know, giving me again, because, you know, shooting them with the compound, you know, in this park program where I can kill 10 a year, you know, 20 a year, whatever I want to shoot, you know, it's still exciting, but it, you know, it's just doing it with a recurve just adds a different level to it. Right. And, um, you know, last year, last year, I don't even think I pulled, I, ne- I never even drew the string back and it was the best season I've ever had, you know, and I was, you know, I had a couple deer I was after specifically. And that was, you know, really the first time I had, targeted deer so to speak or hit list deer so to speak and um it was just super enjoyable man so this year i'm really looking forward to uh to see what i can get done with the con with the recurve on the white tails
0: yeah that sounds exciting um so i so you mentioned that the grizzly or the was it a grizzly or is it a brown bear i assume it was a brown bear so it's it's a brown bear yeah coastal
1: brown bear I actually shot him on the beach actually yeah okay so you've done two though right and that was um, so just, the just the one brown bear hunt, The I've got a couple black bears and the polar bear. So oh, I, I
0: see what's going on here. You took your jacket off for a picture. <laughs> I see. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. thought it was two different yep. bears. Cause you had, you were yeah, wearing it, two started getting, it
1: started getting warm and hey, moving that. Yeah. Moving that bear around with all those layers on, it got warm pretty quick.
0: Okay. So, so archery brown bear is something that I've thought of doing, but I, the stick bow is out. That's I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to break paths with you on the stick bow. But what was the archery brown bear like? Because I think that's a lot of people's, like, when they think of, like, adrenaline experiences in the outdoors, like an archery Kodiak or an archery Afogniak bear hunt is, like, the top. And they usually, I mean, no one's ever said, I want to get charged by a polar bear at 40 yards. So maybe they, (laughs) after they hear this, they'll have a new one. But what was the brown bear hunt like?
1: Right. Okay, so the brown bear hunt. So is a baited brown bear hunt at Jonas Stewart's place up in, uh, up in Wasilla, Alaska. Okay. Sky-high success rate. Um, archery brown bear hunts everywhere else, not the same. And, again, this all kind of uh, comes back to, you know, like the research thing and doing homework. Um, it's super important that when I book a hunt with a guy that the success rate has to be there. I'm not – I'm not experienced enough to where I'm really out there chasing trophies, so to speak, as much as I am just an animal. Like, if I go brown bear hunting, I want to shoot a brown bear. Uh, I'm not picky. I want to shoot the first bear that came in. And luckily, Harold had enough sense to kind of talk me off the ledge and like reassure me the bigger bear we were seeing was going to come in. Mm. Um, so, but you know, he had a, a sky high success rate to whereas, you know, if I, if I was to go to Kodiak or Fognac. The success rate's a lot lower, even though the quality of bears there is a lot better as far as gotcha. genetics, for size and everything. Um, but for me, the success rate had to be there, And I knew I was going to go to Jonah's place. He's got, you know, I think the last four or five years, he's been almost, I think he's at 100% for Pope and Young Bears, um, wow. you know, of the ones that have been shot. So, you know, his success rate's there. And to me, that's, that's paramount. So I booked with Jonah. Um, I think I flew up on the 27th, 28th. My first hunting day was the 29th. Um, it doesn't really get dark that time of year. So, you know, I got to camp. I think I landed in Anchorage at 1130 on the 28th. Jonah picked me up, drove to his house. Um, I'm still in East Coast time. So by the time I get there, I'm just hammered. You know, I've been up since five o'clock that morning. Uh, you know, so by the time I get there, I've been awake for a little over 24 hours. Um, and Jonah went to leave at nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, nine or ten o'clock, go out to the bay, set up camp and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, I rack out pretty quick, got the next morning, got my gear together. Uh, shot one or I think I shot two arrows from the compound uh, you know they're both touching at like 25 yards so I called it good uh, shot a couple with the uh, with the recurve and we packed it up and headed out um, he showed me a couple pictures of bears that were coming in and one was just an absolute tank you know and for that area he was he was the bear I was looking for you know he had it all his hide wasn't rubbed you know had that golden hair with the you know the long the deep you know brown chocolate legs and just he had everything so uh, he and John and, and John and I saddle up and get in the planes and we fly out and John and I set camp up. And as we're setting camp, Jonah flies out to get Harold. Harold comes back. Then he flies both out to the bait. Um, as we're walking into the bait, you know, Jonah and Harold, you know, Jonah and I, John are setting everything up and, and they just bait with dog food. You know, just shaking out the dog food and basically ringing the dinner bell. And, uh, and Harold and I are getting set up, you know, we're putting some juice to the electric fence and, you know, getting into the chain link fence blind. That's, you know, 15 yards away from the bears are coming in and uh you know we set up and they take off and I think it took about an hour and a half two hours and I catch this swath of brown coming through and it was um it was a smaller one i mean, even you know when I say small it's still an eight eight and a half foot brown bear you know and to me yeah. he just comes in like mad daddy I, you know I was pulling the string back you know I'm ready the second he's giving me the shot I'm taking it because I'm there I'm on a brown bear hunt and that's a brown bear you know what I mean like right i'm ready to go but harold's like no no, he's like that's not the one that's not the one i was like are you sure man like that's a he's huge he's like that's not the bear i'm like all right you know just i'll take a breath and just sit and relax so he comes in and he's running all the other bears off he's super curious at one point he almost sticks his head in the blind i mean harold had to put the shotgun in his face i would have shot him five steps before that i was freaking out you know i was like grabbing this dude I'm like he's coming <laughs> but anyhow so he, you know he kinda he kinda comes and goes, and you know, a couple a couple black bears come in that you know, he kinda comes and goes. And then I see another swath of brown coming in, and it's the bigger one. And when he comes in, it's like he just looked enormous. He just and you could, you know how you hear your dog walking around like hardwood floors and stuff? You can hear the little toenails. Yeah. You can hear his toenails as he's just dragging him through the woods. And he's so big, he's just kind of got a uh, yeah. You know, like he's just working to move himself along, and when he's coming in, it's just like, you, what do you do? It's a brown bear. You know, I'm sitting with a recurve in my hand. It's you just the reaction to it. It's just it's so much fun. But anyhow, it's like he would come in, he would lay and look at us, and he would paw around a little bit, or he'd stand up and look, but he would he would constantly face us. So for you know, 20 minutes, I'm just basically holding and waiting for any kind of you know any kind of windows right. in his vitals that he's going to give me. First time he comes in, he does this for 20 minutes. He stands up and – I'm not kidding, man. He stands up and he basically puts reverse on and like moonwalks out and then makes a quick turn and goes. So he doesn't even – he doesn't even do like the, you know, the stand up and like go left or right to get out of it. He walks up and literally takes steps back and then makes a quick turn and leaves. He comes in again about an hour later. And as he's coming, he starts getting nervous. You see him looking back to where he came from. And uh, to me, you know, what limited – experience I have with bears when a bigger bear does that and he's looking at something that's making him nervous typically it's a bigger bear so I'm thinking if there's a bigger bear coming in than this like I might need the shotgun because this thing's enormous you know they, they can't get any bigger so it winds up being the first bear and he runs him off the bait I'm like what's up with that it's like why is the smaller bear running the bigger barrel he's like they just have personalities and some bear were just more timid even though they're bigger I was like all right well that's you know I've never heard it put that way but it makes sense but I just saw it so I can't argue with it But anyhow, so he ran the bear off. Um, And that, you know, that one stayed around for a while. And then we had two really big black bears come in. And those black bears actually put up a fight against the brown, which he tried to push those off too. The blacks weren't having anything. They were having none of it. And um, if I was chasing black bears, they would have been, you know, exceptional black bears for that area. Anyhow, they kind of went back and forth. The black bear actually ran the brown off. And I want to say about three hours after that, the big one came back in. And this was the... uh, it's so the second or third time he came in. But this time he comes in and he's standing on his feet. And he's kind of, you know, more interested in what's going on. And, you know, I see him make a move to the blind. And when I do, I got the bow up. You know, I'm just waiting for this. You, you just wait for any opportunity. And he just starts, you know, he's just doing his thing and moving along. And all of a sudden I see him take a step and I know it's coming. You know, I know he's about to move. And as soon as I kind of see that left leg start to swing forward, i pull back to get ready and he stops and plants and looks at me. And I just, I let one go. And it was, just, I mean, it was as from the hip as I've ever shot because, you know, I knew that, I knew the opportunity was coming. And when he gave it to me, I just, I basically just slung it in him and uh, he didn't go 30 yards, man. It yeah. was super, super quick. I, I mean, just, when you hit him there, bear, well, bears are soft. And when you hit him like that, you know, with the sharp head, it's just, they just, they can't stand it. And he went 30 yards and just rolled over. And, uh, to be that close to something, man, it's just so intimidating. And, to you know, to know you're going to shoot him and kill him is even is even crazier. But the size of that thing was not really apparent until I actually put my hands on him. And just, you know, it just kind of sizes everything up when, you know, you can kind of reference body size with a, an animal size. I mean, to, even in the video of the recovery, like, as I'm standing there talking about him, it doesn't, it doesn't put the animal in perspective until I pick his head up. And as soon as I put my hands on him, it's like, holy shit. That guy's big, but I uh, I think for the area that was the high water mark for the Bears. I think this is about as good as you could do, you know, body and for me he checked all the bases. He's perfect.
0: Well, yeah, he looks he makes you look like a little rag doll when you're standing there next to him. I mean, and I was just watching the video of you and shot, we had and, and it, it was just like the way he's just standing, like he looks like he's
1: like a little bodybuilder for Bears. Dude, he looks like a dude when he's standing like this, and you can't see the video because I'm running a video camera from ten years ago. But um he just looks you know you see those kangaroos when they're standing there, yeah. they're all jacked up with their delts and their chest and stuff. You can see that detail on the bear. You can't make it out in the video again because I'm running some primitive technology. But he just looks like a linebacker standing there. You know you his shoulders are just jacked, his neck's jacked. Like a deer oh, just looks flimsy. Enormous, you know that's they just, just got these, how I want to get him yeah,
0: little legs that stick underneath them and he's just right. like out he square. Just, he's like Yeah man he's bring like like built <laughs> up
1: and he, I, Really, and that's how he looks. He's got to look like man. He's like, come on, you know, like he's gonna. But uh, that's how I want to get him done. And just, just standing on all fours with kind of a, you know, a yeah. look off to the left with that kind of slack jaw look. So, but uh, what's with the? Yeah, that cage? was a, that was a good one. But
0: the fence. What's with the fence?
1: It's a, it's a ground blind. It's surrounded with. Uh, it's wrapped in chain link fence, and it's a bare fence around. So they so allow, hopefully they... slow him down long enough to where if he actually.
0: Oh, so it's like electrified?
1: Basically, some, just a little bit of a little a little bit of protection. Yeah, so they do have a bear fence around that's electrified, and then they have the you know basically the ground blind caged in with uh, with chain link fence. I mean, it's not going to keep him from killing you, but maybe it'll give you a minute or two of you know him not killing you to where you can get some you know a couple slugs in him or something, and uh, and hopefully get out of there. But it was different, man. When you walk up on a ground blind, it's got you know. And chain link fences around it. You know it's about to get serious. It's not, you know, you're not stand hunting whitetails in you know Virginia anymore.
0: Well that's what I was gonna ask you about because you're like I think it's one thing to spot and stock a polar bear in the tundra because you know like there's one bear, he's right there. I got some guides, we got a gun, we got some dogs to distract him, like this is how it's done. But in this case, you're in a jungle. Like I'm looking at it right now and it's a jungle. You got you can barely see the the bait pile. And it's super thick and you're like, you're just like, yeah, there's a ton of grizzlies here or brown bears here. We're going to put a bunch of bait down and then we're going to sit on it. And like, then you it just like, sketchy. and then you realize like, wait a second, that means these bears are just going to come spook us. Like they're just going to come dive bomb on us. And hopefully we don't,
1: hopefully they don't like the ground blind. Skinning him out was the sketchiest sketchiest experience It was the sketchiest three hours I've ever had in the woods ever. Um, because the bears don't leave they don't care they don't, they're they're the predator they're not you like you don't you're not in control they the whole time that one bear that was being a dick like sticking his head to the blind he was on the bait the entire time so we had to kind of keep an eye on him at one point i looked back and there was a bear at least as big as the one that we were skinning out just standing in the river looking at us and when when harold saw him he immediately grabbed a shotgun and started walking over to him because he had to basically come we were basically between him and the bait pile ooh so, he had, he had to push him off of us, right? As soon as I see him grab the gun and go over to him, I go over with him because I want us to look as big as possible, right? So once we start walking up to us, the bear sees us. He kind of stops and he kind of takes a couple steps away, and he stops and he starts back toward us. And as soon as he made that move back toward us, Harold just shot in front of him you know, into the river. I mean, he's probably – he was at least – when we started walking up to him, we probably walked up to him to about 15 yards. It was – he's right there. And when he came back at us, he just shot in front of him with the you know with the shotgun. I guess he was running triple off, but you know it scared him off. The other the other bear never even flinched, and um, it was like that for the entire you know two and a half hours that we're skinning out the bear. And uh, I mean, we were bumping bears on the way back to camp, you know, because we had about a two mile a two mile walk back to camp at you know three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. And uh, I think we bumped three on the way out. Just you know, you're just walking down the trails and there's a brown bear coming into you, and oh my you know. Gosh. How do you – Luckily, Harold had a shotgun on him.
0: What's the advice for, like, keeping it together and making the shot when you're – like, not only is it, like, a big, expensive, once-in-a-lifetime hunt, but also, like, it's a grizzly bear at 15 yards that's going to run right through this chain-lick fence if he wants to.
1: Right. Honestly, man, it's just just the reps, Uh, you know, because I'm just very thorough as far as the practice goes, and I typically shoot pretty straight. Um, that was not the case on my elk hunt. But um, you know, I just I think once you get in that situation, if you've shot enough, you can kinda let things take over. Because really all I could focus on was him stopping. And as and once he did stop, I really don't I don't remember the mechanics of the shot. I don't remember hitting any of my anchor points, none of that stuff that I'm practicing on in the basement. And, you know, I probably did all that stuff, I just didn't realize it because I was so tuned into what was going on. And I just think practice is you gotta practice, man. Everybody's gotta practice a lot more than, you know, I, to me that's it i just think if i come down here in the basement, i shoot you know 50 75 arrows a night that's really all i can do to prepare myself for it you know because you can't there's nothing there's no training i'm going to get in virginia that's going to prepare me for the situation
0: right you know, so really
1: the shooting is the only thing i could i could ever control so you know i feel like if i go into that hunt and that hunt was the that was the most common i've ever been with my shooting and i feel like i had to have it that way because for that very reason because i don't want to gut shoot an animal that size with that potential at 15 nope. yards <laughs> and just, you know, and have a whole pile of kick-ass in my lap in, you know, 0.2 seconds. So that was not something I was interested in doing. Uh, so the shooting had to be on point. Now, you know, every night I'd come to here regardless if I was tired or sore or what you know, whatever reason, I just had to come down here and shoot because to me that was the one the one variable in the equation that I could control and it had to be, you know, to a point. And, uh, and it just worked out. And once I got the shot, I think I really capitalized on it, and, you know. He, again, he didn't go 15 yards, so it, it worked out exactly like oh, 30 yards, so it went out exactly like it was supposed to. Yeah. Do you,
0: So I, I've i had a couple people talk to me about brown bear hunting. And, like, black bears, everyone, like, has their own opinion, but a lot of people say black bears are delicious. You, you go shoot, like, a spring mountain black bear, and it's the best eating you'll ever have. But then when it comes to brown bears, Love I've it. talked to a few people, and they're like, yeah, we didn't eat it.
1: That's the only animal I've shot in lay. And it's because the worms. I wanted, to, I wanted to try some of it, you know, just to say I had eaten it. He's like, but once we got done, I was like, you sure, like I can't take a backstrap or anything? You can make a slice in the meat and like spread it, and they'll just—you'll see them. They're just—you don't want—you don't want any part of the the brown bears. And uh, Jonah was saying certain times of year they actually get rid of some of them, so you'll see them with you know these three or four foot long worms just hanging out of them, and it's uh, yeah, not pretty. And it was, uh, yeah, it's weird. It did, was weird.
0: Did they tell you but, how uh, they get the worms? Like, why are brown bears different than black bears?
1: I don't think they get them as bad, I just think it's the flies. Uh, the area of the region, you know, some parasite, the, the mosquitoes carry there that they don't carry in Canada or a different different flavor of parasite they carry. But I don't think they – and plus I think it may be the fish, the fish they eat, you know, some of the parasites the fish have, and you know, stuff like that. In other words, the brown bears are eating, you know, mainly – not fish you know or the black bears are not eating the fish so who knows but they definitely had them and i definitely didn't eat it and that's gotta after be conflicting cut that meat open and the worms actually yeah it's weird it's definitely a different situation because you know typically um you know when i shot my cougar and i you know i told him i wanted the meat i was like how do you guys want to handle the meat you don't need to help he's like what do you mean the meat? I'm like what do you mean the meat? like gotta get the meat he's like well, nobody used to meat." i was like well I'm not nobody. Like get the meat. I want the meat, and uh, he was just completely like flabbergasted, which to me was super confusing because everybody I talked to prior was like, "Take all the meat because it's delicious," right? And um, but yeah, and I, it was good. It had a very um, it had a very porky texture with like a beefy flavor, uh, but um, yeah, it was really good. But anyhow, I I I would not knowing how good the meat is, I would never leave cougar meat, and I don't know why anybody ever would unless. They're telling people to just leave the cougar meat so they can sell the cougar meat on the side. Like, I, why would you ever leave it? It was, I could see if you, if I took it home and it was at least questionable, but it was good. Like, there's no, did you have no to, reason to leave that? You meat.
0: had to cook it to like, a, you had to cook it like fully cook it to like 160, right?
1: I believe so. I believe that's the case with cat. I know bear always has to be cooked.
0: Yeah. Any, well, I think it's any predator. Be, yeah. That's probably true. Any carnivore, I think, can get like trichinosis yeah. through the things they eat. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's got to be conflicting with the brown bears because, like, I know in places in Canada especially, like, there's too many of them. They have to do something. And then just recently they listed them so they can't do anything. And so now they're just, like, way too many brown bears. It's a population issue. And so they eat, like, they need hunters. They need – that that population needs to be managed. to you can't eat them, so now, like, I would be very conflicted about shooting an animal of that size
1: and not eating it and leaving it. Yeah, right. I get it. I completely get the same way with the polar bear. I mean, the you know the Inuits took the meat, but I couldn't keep any of it. I ate a little bit of heart in camp, you know, once I got back, but that was that was it. You know,
0: but that's they were eating.
1: It. I mean, everything's they do eat it. They yeah. Do
0: eat it. So that's yeah. better. To and me. and they don't. That means like somebody's oh, getting sure. use the use out of the animal. Yeah, it's just kind of like. A real bummer with the brown bears and the worms. Like, yeah, no one can eat them, but we have to keep hunting them or else they'll get overpopulated and then they'll wreck everything else.
1: Right. Oof. Right. Yeah, I never heard the reason. I could have shot another one, you
0: know. Yeah. Yeah. I never heard the reason on the brown bears, but now that makes sense. I think I thought a lot of people that were talking to me about it, thought it was more so of like a taste texture like mountain goats like everyone knows mountain goats right. are not the same as antelope or white tails or elk like they they're not right the most right. delicious animal most people try to choke them down and eat them because of all the work and effort they went into putting in the hunt and they really respect the animal oh, and they're I, thinking I eat,
1: like, I eat mine all the time and it's delicious do you do like <laughs> it's the meat? sweetest meat i've gotten what i do whatever i you know i got yeah i do whatever i do tacos i do uh some curry goat I, You know, i do. It's not All like super stuff, tough. Whatever, like, can you do hamburgers. a steak? Yeah, I've done steak. Yeah. Oh, and it's not but too it's tough. Just, it's it's not the fact that it's it, no, it's it's oh, no, it's tough. It's not again. It's not great. It's great to me just because of what I went through, like you were saying. Oh, okay. just you. yeah. To me, the fact that I'm eating that mountain goat, it makes it makes it delicious. But I mean, i you know, you can church it up pretty good. Like a buddy of mine makes some curry goat at work. And, um, you know, he's African and they cook a lot of goat anyway. So when he cooked it, I mean, it was delicious. Like he cooked in the steam, co- like a pressure cooker and like the old school oh. pressure cooker that shakes like grandma's used to, you know, not, yeah, not, not like an Instapot or anything, like the old cold steamer. Gotcha, and, uh, gotcha. God, that stuff would just fall apart. Delicious. You know, some good rice and stuff, but, uh, yeah, but the eating the, not, not eating the animal is definitely a departure from, you know, no. everything you ever come up here. And as far as, yeah, you know, you know, hunting animals and killing animals, and you know, having—I mean, hell, Ryan, my son, he started shooting his compound when he was—I don't think six. You know, he wanted to shoot a couple cat squirrels with it, and we—we we ate those. You know, shot a rabbit with it. You eat those. You know, so it's just—you uh, know—I was raised the same way. If you kill it, you got to eat it. So you know, killing something and not eating it was completely different. But it's—it's it's for a very based reason.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I would. If you cut that open in front of me, like if you cut a white tail deer open and there was worms like that, I'd be like, I'm not eating that. Uh, there's no oh, yeah. way.
1: Like, a... yeah, the creepy crawlies. Yeah, yeah. My, I think my muskox had. Um, I want to say he had tuberculosis, because I, you know I had taken I had bags labeled. I was so excited to get this muskox meat because everybody says muskox meat's the best they had, followed by moose, and I will second that opinion. Muskox moose. A uh, muskox meat is delicious. Moose meat's delicious. I've only had Canadian moose, so I can't. But I can't imagine a shiris or a you know or a Yukon moose. It tastes much different. But um, they cut it open, and he had all these black spots on his lungs. And you Ooh. cut black spots open, and almost had like clotted blood in it. Yeah, and they're like, we don't know what this is. We don't, we've seen a lot of muskoxes. We've never seen this. He's like, so I probably wouldn't advise you eating the meat. I'm like, Gah. you know, what do you do? Like, you know, I booked this hunt like you know 2018. Like it got canceled for COVID. It's four years later in twenty twenty two and I I can't I got a muskox down I can't eat and it sucked. But um luckily I was able to eat something they had in camp and uh it, it was delicious. But unfortunately I just I couldn't take mine back. But it sucked because muskox is good meat.
0: Yeah, that would be a bummer and like that's not something like you can ever know going into a hunt. Like that's like shooting a whitetail and then it oh, has no. some crazy disease right. and like the meat is green. I didn't know that. Like if I would have known I would have shot a different right. one.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's different. That hunt was a little bit different. And the way that one then the way that hunt worked, that was nuts. Um that hunt, that muscot he wound up being they don't recognize it, but he's the biggest one ever shot with a recurve. So they just lump it all in with the re, with the bow records and he wound up being 10th all the time. Oh my god. But gosh. um I lost the coin flip. Uh, yeah, I lost the coin flip going to that hunt and um I was shooting second. And, you know, the guy with the gun was shooting first. And with the first day there, we found a group of three. And the guy shooting the gun wound up shooting one of the smaller bulls in the group. No. I couldn't believe it. You know, I, <laughs> like just,
0: on accident, I he just could... got them mixed up in the scope?
1: I think so. I think so because, you know, we kind of went around one way on the snow machines. And, we you know, he kind of went another. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there. I'm looking at this bull. And to me, he checks all the boxes. But I'm not super concerned because I know the area is known for big bulls. And I've got five days. So I'm not – I was not overly concerned, you know. And I looked at him was like, okay, he's going to shoot this bull. We're going to, we we'll are probably skin it, break it down, set camp. Tomorrow I'll go get mine. We'll head home. And, um, you know, we make a plan up. He goes one way. I go the other. And we're sitting there just kind of watching him. And, uh, when he makes the shot go off, you know, when I hear the shot go off, I see the smaller bull kind of, you know, buck. And I was like, did he just shoot the, and as you know, while I'm trying to process what happened, the smaller bull falls down. Oh my I'm like, gosh. Oh my God. I was like, D-. I was like, he shot the smaller bull. And I was like, okay, well let's go get the other one. And, uh, yeah, that one that was uh that went off pretty nuts. But yeah, I couldn't keep the meat. And it was just uh there was no way I was passing that bull first day. And uh but just weird animals, man. Just such a different look. Uh, their hair is very coarse, it's very long, but in one spot it's super soft and like pillowy. Just uh just a different animal altogether.
0: Yeah. It are would you are they like a – They've got to be pretty close to, like, the cattle family. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. No I don't know. They're muskox. It's their
1: own thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> muskox, yeah. They're yeah. in the ox family,
1: 1st sure. <laughs> They're in the <laughs> ox family.
0: <laughs> yeah, right next to yeah, Babe, the blue one. Some
1: form of uh... – <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah, cool. that was uh, super cool, man. They're super cool critters, man. Their horns are just wicked looking. But, uh, but yeah – that was a that was a super fun hunt, but no meat, no meat. Try whale meat if you ever get a chance. Try beluga whale meat. Um, they actually had some in camp when I was there from one that they had shot the spring before, um, and apparently, it was a big deal is a beluga whale, and they don't show up often. And when they do, it's a big deal. And uh, my guide was the first one to get a harpoon in them, so that's considered his whale, you know, by I guess the tribal rules or whatever. Uh, so he had a bunch of it. And, uh, they had some that was smoked and they had some that was just raw. And man, if, if Americans knew how good beluga whale was with just a little bit of soy sauce, it'd be bad news for beluga whales. But, uh, <laughs> but I see why the Japanese get all, get all spun up about them. They're delicious.
0: That's funny. Yeah. Do, I think there's a lot of people invested wars, yeah. in, uh, not shooting whales, <laughs> whale watchers or whatever. Whale wars.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. That's funny. Yeah. You're offered beluga whale meat by some Inuits. You eat it. It's good. That's
0: crazy, man. Those are some those are some wild adventures. I mean, typically we're talking elk, mule deer, antelope. Every now and then we get some sheep on the podcast, but muskox, right. polar bear, even brown bear, I think, are three new animals that we've ever talked about on the podcast. So that's been kind of exciting to kind of just hear all those stories go down and what it's like doing some of these hunts.
1: Uh, so it's... It's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. That's for sure. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunately the prices are just getting to the point where it's you know it keeps a lot of people from doing it. And I guess when I got into it, I you know, I, of course I wanted super slam, but you know f- you know financially it's probably never going to happen. It, financially, it, it'll never happen. So I you know the goal is a super ten. So that's kind of how I started booking hunts for, you know, the super ten because it's just a different species and you know you got to have X Y Z to get there. So um, super ten I've would be everything.
0: like one deer, one bear, one.
1: Right. Okay. One sheep, one caribou, one elk, one, you know, or either a muskox or, you know, cougar, muskox. Yeah. Goat, mountain goat, pronghorn. Gotcha. Uh, so basically one of each of the species on the continent. Oh. And um, I've got, I've got eight of the 10 caribou and a sheep. And I've got the caribou book for next year. But uh, unless I win the lottery or draw a tag, I'll probably not because it's just the problem. gotten so, and if they're getting, what the outfitters have figured out that are taking, you know, 10 guys for a thousand dollars, they can take one guy for 10,000. You know what I mean? And, you know, save the time the wear the, the equipment, the food. And, uh, and people are paying the price. unfortunately, they'll never come back down if people are paying those prices, but, yeah. um, but just, you know, keep applying for tags and keep my fingers crossed and, and see what happens. But, uh, I've heard that the yeah.
0: most affordable one is the desert bighorn. If you go to Mexico,
1: if you go to mexico on a non free range hunt yeah. you can get them cheap and cheap on that is probably 35 yeah 40
0: which like the I
1: mean, like a british columbia if you want to get into like a yeah they're like 60 70 stone yeah. If stone's going for 75 yeah, yeah. stones are just getting out of control but uh i mean you could you could go put 100 grand on a desert on Carmen island no problem. And I just, I don't have that kind of scratch, man. You know, and to save up for what I've had to save up took a lot of ass busting for five years. And it's just, you know, I spent all that money and I had a good time and I was actually able to come up with some nice stuff. But, you know, now it's going to be recurves and whitetails for a few years while I stack my chips back up.
0: Yeah. So is that, is that kind of the strategy you use then is just take it, bite, 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 break it down over a few years, set your goal, just squirrel away. Right. And then. You know, because I think right. a lot of people are like, oh, I'll never be able to afford that. It's like, well, not if you keep that attitude forever. Like, you got to start with a plan somewhere. Like, well, it's you can do a lot of stuff. Right. You just got to have I a plan. Kinda, you
1: know, well, once it kind of, you know, once I had those bear hunts and those antelope hunts, and, it's, you know, I it realized that, you know, going on these hunts is something I really like to do. I was kind of in a unique situation with work to where I could pretty much work all the overtime I want. Um, that's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, for the last... <laughs> five years i've averaged around like 900 hours of overtime a year and it's a lot of work but i mean it's you know I get to go do something i like to do it's not i don't know but it's it's a lot and it's to the point now i'm like really tired and uh so i'm definitely gonna have to dial it back but um i guess just getting everything going you know kind of stepping along and having that goal of the super 10 and being able to put myself in like okay well i need to go on a goat hunt and a goat hunt's 10 grand you know that's you know x amount of overtime shifts you know what i mean so i sign myself up for all these overtime shifts and work them and save and book and go and just basically rinse repeat and i've done that through the list of things that i've done uh and it's just it's a lot of fun but it's a lot of work and i you know i can only do so much man before i got to kind of put the brakes on a little bit and slow down unfortunately
0: yeah, everyone – different seasons. Like, everyone's got the same thing. Like, there's just times when it works out great, and there's times when it's not as easy, and you just kind of take it with the uh, – you just kind of follow the where the wind blows, right? I mean, I'm sure you weren't working $900 hours of overtime the year your son was born. Like, it just – that's not in the cards that year, right? You know, you got to
1: – we got to do a couple no, other no, things no, first. No, no, no. I was well, actually, I was still – right, yeah, and that was – uh know I just kind of got, it got into my, it got into my blood as far as, you know, this adventure bow hunting stuff and, you know, being able to do it through work it just kind of fueled the fire, so to speak. And, you know, having the means to go do something I enjoy, you know, and it just, I put a lot of time in and just got it done. And it was worth every single, every single hour, to be honest. But uh, unfortunately it's just, I set a pace for myself and I just can't keep up. And, um, you know, so I'm going to kind of go back into, you know, go back into the lab and, you know, just kind of stack these chips up a little bit and maybe in three or four more years, I can go on another tear and, you know, get a, get a couple more animal shot and, and see how that goes and hopefully get a sheep book, man. I'd really like to get on a sheep hunt and uh, put that super 10 certificate on the wall. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm sure, sure. You've a guy like you, you're gonna, you're gonna figure out a way eventually might take a little bit longer, but I'm sure you'll, you'll figure it out.
1: I've got, yeah, hopefully my shoulders got another 20 years of, of pulling bowstrings back and. Well, you know, see what we can do in a in a handful of as handful much time years. as
0: you spend in a gym. If you keep shooting that forty eight pound recurve, I think you'll be just <laughs> fine, as long as you don't start shooting it, like hundred fifty you know, pound war bow.
1: <laughs> and that's one of those things, like you know, you really can't. I can't do. I can't do both. So if I've got a hunt coming up, I really have to put the gym down because it's almost like um, it's like a linebacker trying to be a ballerina, if that makes sense. Like I can't, <laughs> the mechanics of doing this correctly repeatedly doesn't work when my arms are you know super blown up or my chest is tight or my backs you know i, I just can't, I can't do both so when I, i've got a big hunt coming up i completely you know i'll do like legs and stuff but um i'll for the most part just put the gym down and just focus on you know these muscles instead of those muscles
0: yeah no i hear you i hear you well thanks for hopping on the show eric and sharing some of these crazy hunts and these crazy Absolutely, memories man. with our listeners um i think it's going to be a really cool episode i think a lot of people are going to be like wow never even thought about that
1: yeah well for sure man i really appreciate the opportunity thank you for having me man yeah
0: anytime give uh give just a quick minute here give folks a chance where they can follow along with some of your next adventures whenever they do take place and and where they can go uh see some of the pictures and videos we've been talking about today
1: for sure. So, uh, so Facebook, Eric Bethune, um, uh, my stuff's pro it's all public. So you can see all my stuff. You, so you don't have to send me a friend request. You can just follow along, um, on Instagram.
0: Oop, it looks like we just lost Eric. He was going to say on Instagram, it's the juggernaut. Um, and I will see if we can't get him back in the, in the pod, but if not, it's the jugger knock on Instagram knock as in N O C K as an archery and we'll put the links down below but thank you for being here guys and thank you for listening folks i'm guessing eric's phone just died so we'll call that a wrap for today oh nope he's coming right back in here oh hey we got you back it was funny that was weird yeah you're like on Would instagram you, it's- what'd you get it, when you said on instagram it's uh, and then it just cut out and i'm like uh i don't know if he was just like okay. trying to be like no don't follow me on instagram but no yeah I no
1: idea i had no idea just, the whole thing just whacked off I just, <laughs> I just died but yeah on instagram so it's at the Juggernock, and again all my stuff's public so you don't have to send me a fruit request you can just kind of creep and lurk and, and see what i got going on but uh but that's it that's it uh, my next my next out of town hunt will be a bear hunt at stick flingers in uh june of next year so until then it's just uh whitetails in the Backyard. Cool.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Eric, and thank you for listening, folks.